All right, so Yanni, there's been a lot of news lately about AT&T selling Mortal Kombat to Discovery Channel. Yeah, there has. And uh, <laughs> to help shed some light on what that means for Mortal Kombat, we brought in Andre from Midnight's Edge. Welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you. And thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Andre, it's great to have you on. And for those of our fans who aren't familiar with Midnight's Edge, they're known for bringing us entertainment news and breakdowns that we don't normally see from a lot of entertainment publications. Um, they brought us everything from the Sony hacks to like in how Spider-Man got incorporated into the MCU to exposés on the trouble production of a Conan sequel. So it's it's really great to have you on to help us uh, weed through this Warner Brothers stuff that we're seeing right now. Absolutely. So thanks for reaching out and we'll see what we can do to try to map out where things might go. It's impossible to predict at this stage, but we can try to make some educated guesses. So let's do that. So yeah, there's been a lot of fake news on, and like, as you said, like, we don't really know what's happening exactly. So all we can do is make that educated guess. Um, so why don't we kind of start at the beginning of where or how A&T acquired Warner Brothers? Um, can you shed a little bit of light onto that? Yes, absolutely. Because let's begin with the big picture. And then we can get into the minutia, because that's where Mortal Kombat and NetherRealm Studios are. That's firmly into the minutia. The big picture is that AT&T, a telecommunications operator, they decided that they want to try to incorporate more of the entirety of the value chain into their business. They already had the internet service, they had that going for them. They also wanted people to use their broadband and their bandwidth for watching movies on their servers using their services. And this is where HBO Max comes into the fray. That kind of like became their go-to thing. So they were interested in acquiring a movie studio for their catalog and for then building a Netflix competitor of some kind. Uh, and this then turned out to be uh, Warner. The entirety of the Warner Corporation was acquired by AT&T. Uh, after acquiring it, they slimmed down the corporation considerably. That's what, that is what uh, Warner Media CEO Jason Killar had as his first and foremost responsibility. That was to shed all of the excess weight and slim down the corporation to its barest components so that AT&T could draw maximum value from it. The challenge from their point of view was that they got into so many more things than they had wanted to. Because to most people, Warner is just a movie distributor, but there's so much more than that. You have so many different divisions, including the games division, and it's hidden behind a corporate structure. Just to reveal the different layers here. That corporate structure is, as of right now, you have AT&T at the very top. And under them is then the restructured Warner Media, which is where all movies and everything like that lies, but it's in different divisions. So under Warner Media, you have Warner Brothers Enter Entertainment Incorporated. And under them, in turn, you have Warner Brothers Home Entertainment. And under them, in turn, you have Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment. And that is where all of the game corporations are including NetherRealm Studios, and under them again is Mortal Kombat. But if you go back that chain, AT&T 
were the ultimate donors. Actually, they still are the ultimate donors. But they became that mostly by happenstance. They weren't interested in Mortal Kombat per se. They were interested in Warner and their movie and TV series catalog for the purpose of making a Netflix competitor. Everything else was kind of a byproduct that they got in the process. Uh, but still, the theory was uh, was relatively sound. Uh, develop a Netflix competitor because if you're able to get off the ground with that, there's so much money in it. You can collect hundreds of millions that just comes into the account every single month if you do it good. If you are able to be one of the top two, three, four streaming providers that everyone needs, and that is what they were going for. Problem was that they bit over a little bit more than they could chew, especially in a period where the economy kind of crumbled uh, and they had debt up to their ears because acquiring Warner isn't a cheap thing. <laughs> so uh, relatively recently, they made the decision that maybe acquiring Warner wasn't such a hot idea after all. Maybe it cost us a little bit more than we had imagined. Maybe we got more things to deal with here than what we strictly wanted. And this then brings us up to, uh, to the most recent developments, where they are now removing WarnerMedia with all of its subsidiaries, including then Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment, and the game studios like NetherRealm and Mortal Kombat with it. But they're not getting rid of it entirely. What is actually happening here is that they have teamed up with Discovery. And in conjunction with Discovery, they will make a new corporate unit. The name of this corporate unit has, as the time when we are recording this, has not yet been revealed. But they're creating then a new corporation, uh, which will be 70% owned by AT&T and 30% owned by Discovery. And under this corporate unit, they will then shift the entirety of Warner Media, including all movies, all TV series, books, printing, whatever they may have, plus video games. And then the new person that will be in charge of all of this ultimately is David Saslaw. I have to double check the name, but I think it's David Saslaw. He is the CEO of the Discovery Corporation right now. And he's actually excelled with that uh, pretty well. Because what he does, what is his strategy? That is to take something that works and make it better. And if it doesn't work, he will restructure it and change it until it works. So this is someone that has a habit of turning lemons into lemonades. You can say that's kind of like his strategy. And with Discovery, he has actually had very little to work with, with all of the channels and everything that can go under the Discovery package. But he's been able to be fairly competitive with that little thing. So he's a very, very shrewd businessman. He knows the entertainment industry better than anyone at AT&T. That was kind of an issue with them. They came in and they alienated everyone in Hollywood because they didn't treat them with the proper respect that the agents and the directors and all of the other fragile personalities thought that they deserved. So they were kind of uh, 
bummed out by that and they lost many relationships. Like, for instance, they lost a relationship with Chris Nolan, which is kind of like a big deal because he was like Warner's go-to director and that's not the case anymore. So that's a big part of the reason why they shift everything over to Discovery and with the CEO there who knows the industry better than they do. Just to summarize then, new corporation uh, and everything will be shifted into that, including NetherRealm. Going back to the actual Warner Brothers acquisition, how much did they end up spending? Do you, do you remember from that initial purchase? AT&T or? To, for WB, you mean? Yeah. It was around $85 million or something. Yeah, exactly. It was around $85 billion that they spent on the acquisition. Uh, part of that was cash. Part of that was bonds. Most of it is debt, uh, either event. So it substantially increased their debt. And evidently, to a point that wasn't sustainable, which is uh, why they must be doing this right now. So, you know, you mentioned too that Warner Brothers, when they were acquired by AT&T, there's a lot of uh, kind of burning the bridges that AT&T did just by not giving proper respect. I mean, we saw that with, you know, some people say that the tr- treatment of DC as the studio execs wanted to go in one direction, but AT&T did such things as bringing back the Snyder Cut and releasing on HBO Max and things like that. Yeah, that's a star example, actually. Uh, because if you look at Warner, the the film studio, uh, the uh, the people working for Warner Media, many of those are Hollywood royalty. They are the typical, or rather stereotypical, I should say, studio moguls. And many of them have like this attitude that we are the kings and queens of this industry. We mm-hmm. know best. The audience are but plebs, and they will accept what we give them with grace and with gratitude. Kind of like have that attitude. Uh, there yeah. is no no thought of serving the uh, the customer. The customer is always wrong. Customers and yeah, it's someone that's expected to show up and be grateful for what they are what they are given. That is the attitude of many people within the um, uh, movie wing of Warner, which is why, for instance, look at the Snyder Cut, fans were campaigning to have it for years, and they refused to give in, even the air cut. Like the the Snyder Cut, that's a fairly substantial investment, like AT&T, when they came in and decided that, you know what, if we were to invest 80 to 90 million in this, we'll get that money back many times over. So let's do this. It was mostly ego that got in the way. Uh, of course, because we see now that uh, it was successful. You have had some articles claiming otherwise, but the fact of the matter is that the Snyder Cut was incredibly financially successful. I mean, it broke even in pre-sales alone, and everything on top of that is, uh, is just icing on the cake. But still, they didn't have that that attitude in Warner, uh, which is very traditional Hollywood isolated from the audience. Whereas AT&T, you can say what you want about uh, their service or their their capabilities as an online service provider. But they at least come from the point of view that you have to at least try to cater to the audience. Not from the goodness of their hearts, but they see that, okay, audiences want the Snyder Cut and they're willing to pay for it. So why should we stop it? And just right there, you have a cultural conflict between AT&T and the more Hollywood studios. In, in that same vein, we saw an, another uh, pretty big success with 
AT&T's decision to do same-day streaming on HBO Max. And uh, this kind of ties back into Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat was originally supposed to be a made-for-theater production, and it kept getting pushed back and pushed back. But eventually, uh, it was released on HBO Max, and it ended up being one of the top-grossing movies in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, And as far as HBO Max views, it beat out everything from Godzilla to Snyder Cut and Wonder Woman 84. Yes, it did. Uh, So their strategy of growing HBO Max by doing day-and-date releases was incredibly successful in growing HBO Max. Uh, Problem was that it's a strategy that leaves a lot of money on the table. Uh, in terms of unrealized box office gross. Mm-hmm. You saw mm-hmm. this with Kong versus Godzilla. Had it gotten a wide theatrical release under normal circumstances, it probably would have gotten more than 800 million at the worldwide box office. Could have broken a billion. Not impossible, just looking at what it actually did do. Yeah, that's uh, that equals maybe like five hundred dollars in pure profit left on the table right there. That's for one movie. Now, uh, on Wonder Woman eighty four, they made the assumption that it would have made a billion at the box office, and they paid out all kind of bonuses to cast and uh, and above the line crew in anticipation of that. So, so that was actually a big money loser for them. Same with Mortal Kombat. I don't know exactly what it would have done at the box office, but again, that's also money left on the table by going straight to uh, to HBO Max day and date. So you have like a cost and benefit thing. And they were very successful in growing HBO Max, but the cost of doing so looks like it might have been too high because they are kind of reversing that decision a little bit right now. At least that appears to be the case. The one who ultimately is going to decide right now is going to be David Zaslaw, the new or incoming uh, boss of all things Warner Media in the, in the new corporation. So he will be the one that decides what they are going to do, which strategy they're going to focus on, what products they will choose to focus on and what have you not. And that we don't know yet. There we can only make guesses. We could really get into the sort of the the actual sale or possible merger of Warner Bros. now. I mean, we're unsure as to what exactly is going on, but some questions we have are, is it just Warner Bros.? Are they selling at a loss? Is it actually merging everything? Is it just merging the gaming property? No, what happens is that that they are removing Warner Media with all of its subsidiaries from AT&T and then they are moving it into uh, a new corporate entity. So they'll start a new company. Let's just call it AT&T Discovery. Now that's like just a new empty shell that's being created. And under that empty shell, that's where they're going to move Warner Media along with all the subsidiaries of Warner Media, And that's where it gets complicated, because again, you have like four corporate or four entities between Warner Media and uh, Warner Bros. Inter- Interactive Entertainment, which is where you find NetherRealm Studios. So it could very well be that they're going to do some kind of reorganization there, but well, that's going to happen after the new entity has been created and the transfer has been made. 
And you had mentioned too that this new organization is going to be 70% owned by AT&T and 30% owned by Discovery. So it's basically its own thing that encompasses what Warner used to be. Yes, that is exactly right. Um, in principle, Warner is going to be exactly as before. It's just going to be under a new corporate umbrella. So it's a consolidation rather than a merger. In principle, it doesn't have to be anything different. It just changes the top layer. This uh, actually ha- has happened quite a lot in, in different companies. Tracing this back, I'm going to go back a little bit further to NRS's early days. Um, so in 2009, Midway Games filed for bankruptcy. And of course, they were the owners of Mortal Kombat and a ton of other games that we grew up with. And Warner Brothers acquired uh, all of the assets of Midway Games, which includes Mortal Kombat. And they also acquired the Midway Games company structure in 2009. So even though Warner Brothers went on to close most of Midway Games facilities, they kept their Chicago development studio. And that later became Interactive Entertainment, which they renamed to WB Games Chicago. And then they incorporated this into NetherRealm Studios, and that became a replacement for their WB Games Chicago division. All of this now, this the whole NetherRealm Studios, which has been producing Mortal Kombat games since Mortal Kombat 9, falls under that parent company of Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment. So now the question, I guess, is how does Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment fall into this new company structure? And I, I think you've kind of answered that. That's basically going to fall under this new merged company that's being developed out of this. Yes, you can look at it really simple. In principle, nothing changes. The only Mm -hmm. thing that changes is that the very, very top layer, AT&T, will be replaced by a new unit to be created and to be named. That is the only change that we can, can say for certain is happening right now. And also, before they can execute that change, it has to be approved by the regulatory authorities. So that could be a year, year and a half, maybe two years of even uh, regulatory process before any of that actually happens. I mean, it took a good two years to have uh, AT&T be allowed to acquire or complete the Warner acquisition in the first place. So nothing is going to change overnight here. It's going to take a little bit longer before you see any changes. But then what happens is that they're going to move the entire company, the whole shebang, into a new unit. Then it's going to be a new CEO. And then, in all likelihood, the new CEO is going to have a new vision for the company, and then he's going to restructure the company in accordance with that new vision. But in principle, the same thing would have happened if you were to have a new CEO or the same CEO come into Warner Media as it is right now under AT&T. So just that shifting from one overarching corporate entity to another that itself is not a dramatic thing. When AT&T took over Warner Brothers Interactive Division, we didn't see much of a change in how the video game industry was handled. Do you think that this is something that's going to change now that they're doing a, a new merger, or is that something that's going to be relying on how David Sasselot decides to take this new company? It's going to depend entirely on how David Sasselot uh, takes the new company, but I would imagine that he is going to 
going into every single unit in every single company and he's going to take a look at what works and what needs changing. And if it works, I don't think that he's going to have the need to change anything. And Netherrealm works fairly well, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, yes, yeah, I mean, but they've been yes. profitable. <laughs> I, would, uh, I would imagine that uh, that um, on the whole, there's not going to be many changes there because it on the whole works. If there are mm-hmm. things of it that he disagrees with, he can make some changes in budget, maybe some some people that they report to. But I think that the biggest changes are going to be in all of the divisions that are between Netherrealm and the the new top entity or or rather between warner media and between netherrealm that's where the change is going to be i would not anticipate many changes in how netherrealm is uh, is operated directly well you i mean it's kind of relates back to the movie as well but you did mention earlier that uh, the that uh, WB were sort of out of touch, and then it came down to AT and T trying to, you know, bring that back in, and to the point where initially they were putting off people in Hollywood and such. Now I'm wondering if this sort of merger or whatever it is, consolidation, whatever it ends up being, could actually affect not just the studios but the actual franchise as a whole in terms of actually getting back in touch with, say, the community. I think there's a very good chance of that happening because um, the the incoming CEO, David Saslaw, uh, I don't think that he cares much for any particular property, and he doesn't have to. What he has to care about is the numbers, because if you go back to the current people running DC uh, DC films, Walter Hamada, Ansarnov, Toby Emmerich, they were all more concerned with ideology and their own ego. That is what the primary conflict has been about. Yeah, the Snyder Cut brought the money, but they don't want to do it. They don't want to go back to the Snyder Snyderverse because that looks it makes them look like idiots. Because they were the ones that sabotaged that in the first place. Not Walter Mada, he came in later. But And the same thing with, with Anne Sarnoff, although she's like more of an ideologue, kind of like Kathleen Kennedy in, in Star Wars. But for Toby Emmerich, certainly, uh, the, the Snyder Cut is basically digging up a skeleton that he would rather see buried because it exposes his own mismanagement in mandating the Whedon Cut in the first place. So you have that thing going on within the DC side of things. That's actually a very unique thing. You don't have that with anything else. Like for instance, with the Mortal Kombat movie, from what I have heard from people that are involved, there's wide agreement company-wise that yeah, this Mortal Kombat thing, that really worked out. Let's do more of it. Let's do much more of it. Mm -hmm. And AT&T, which of course aren't going to matter anymore. They were more like, yeah, give us as much Mortal Kombat as you possibly can. Maybe David Sastlaw uh, thinks that there's a limit to to how far they can take it. I don't know. But again, I would imagine that he's not going to go in and micromanage too much there. He's going to look at the numbers. He's going to see, yeah, this thing here, this, uh, this actually delivered the numbers. We can do more of it on a relatively modest budget. So let's do that. I would imagine that that would be the mindset when it comes to Mortal Kombat. But again... Only David Sastler knows. 
<laughs> so Phantom and I have actually discussed this uh, on a few recent videos, but what it seems to what seems to have been the case is that there wasn't much faith placed into the Mortal Kombat movie or just the Mortal Kombat series as a movie franchise. Um, whereas now, again, as we said, it looks like we're going to have somebody in charge who is more in touch with everything than they have been in the past. Yeah. And again, he doesn't have to be in touch with the audience. It's quite sufficient if he's in touch with the numbers and he's able to see, whoa, audiences responded to this. Let's do more of it. That's, I think he's more like that. I don't think that he knows anything about Mortal Kombat or video games or video game movies or their audience. But I do think he's shrewd enough to see that this is how much money was spent and this is how much we got back. This is how many new subscribers were brought to HBO Max and down the line. This is how many Blu-rays and 4K Blu-rays were sold. Let's do more of this because we want more of these numbers. I think it's going to come down to something as simple as that. So we could end up seeing not just more sequels, but possibly even whole new uh, different types of shows maybe even coming out because of all of this. It's based on the numbers. within the realm of possibility. Again, this is now going to be David Saslaw. But how it was under Jason Killar when he was the head of Warner Media, and one of his things was to get HBO Max up and running. Every time they developed a new movie, the mandate was also to think, how can we make an HBO Max spin-off? And you have like two examples of this in the world of, uh, of DC. Like, for instance, with the upcoming The Batman movie, the one with Robert Pattinson and Matt Reeves, while well, they're making an HBO Max spin-off, or rather a prequel series, uh, about the Gotham Police Department. That's like such a studio mandate. Uh, and same thing with uh, The Suicide Squad, the, uh, the sequel uh, helmed by James Gunn. They're doing an HBO Max spin-off of, I forget the name of the character, uh, the guy with the toilet on top of his head, the, the fun guy, the, the big wrestler. Oh, uh, John Cena's yes, character? Yes, exactly. And, and that's kind of like <laughs> well, the mandate, uh, <laughs> that they that the, they wanted maximum content for, for everything. I would imagine that, uh, that David Saslaw wants to continue that strategy, because as it is right now, because of the moves that were done, HBO Max is right up there. It has become one of the winners in the streaming wars. And it mm -hmm. would be stupid to just give up right now. So I, again, I we can, who knows what David Sastler is going to do, but I would be surprised if he didn't continue that strategy, which appears to be a winning one. And uh, to, to that, to that end, I wouldn't be awfully surprised if we get more Mortal Kombat sequels, spin-offs, maybe Mortal Kombat Conquest 2.0. Not <laughs> the realm of possibility, <laughs> but hopefully better. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I loved it. So that's better is just like, whoa, a masterpiece. <laughs> you know, one of the the changes we saw with AT and T kind of acquiring Warner Brothers at the beginning was that they kind of disregarded uh, a lot of the woke politics that are already incorporated into Warner Brothers and kind of did their own thing. Andre, do you feel like any of that would spill into the Mortal Kombat games? Because that's kind of been one of the complaints a lot of the uh, the players of the more recent games have complained about is, is the politics that are kind of being integrated into the series. 
I think there's going to be heavy pressure to that end, uh, to that end, because the demand for that is very well funded, and mm. everything depends on funding and bill payers. You have like two things. One is, are the creatives themselves true believers? And if they're not, do you have some funding partner that requires a certain level of activism in the project? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's one of those two things, or both, that that lead to the really woke results. I cannot say specifically. I haven't researched it, so I honestly don't know the the details of what's going on with Netherrealm there. I do think, though, that uh, with David Saslaw, there's going to be significantly less pressure for it to be woke from a corporate point of view. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they're probably going to have like a diversity officer and stuff like that. But beyond that, I don't know that there's necessarily going to be uh, any mandate that it must be quote unquote woke. I mean, even look at Disney. They are moving away from it. Bob Chapek is moving away from it. Uh, this whole restructuring that he's doing of Disney by giving distribution power over creatives is specifically done so that there's a check against that thing so that you can't have studio heads that are true believers go completely nuts on the company dime that's interesting so we are possibly looking at an entire shift of the whole entertainment industry right now i don't think it's going to be a massive shift uh, mm-hmm. But but I do think there's going to be a movement in the right direction because again it's all about the about the money because this quote unquote wokeness it needs to be funded you need to have someone there who are willing to pay for just that and as long as they keep on funding it it can continue forever but if that funding suddenly dries up, dries up and the studio are in a position where they have to please the audience again. They're going to move away from it. And that's a little bit of where Disney is uh, is moving right now. And Warner were never the worst offenders. And uh, where you had it, it was very often driven by the creatives themselves, not so much by studio mandate. Mm. Oh, interesting. Hope that David Sassler is going to recognize the potential that is in a strong, vibrant Mortal Kombat franchise. I would be very happy to see that because I'm a big Mortal Kombat fan myself. So bring me Mortal Kombat uh, mythologies, <laughs> Sub-Zero. I'd yes, see that yes. series and do it right. Andre, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, let our listeners know where exactly they can find you. You can find me uh, on the YouTube channel Midnight's Edge, uh, where we specialize in the corporate politics that determines what ends up on screen, whether it be Mortal Kombat, Marvel's The Avengers, Conan the Barbarian, or what have you not. We'll be leaving a link to your channel in the description of this video. Thank you. Thank you to all of our listeners as well for joining us for this special Tarkat and Bite Size episode. Let us know what you think of the topic we discussed today. Are you excited or afraid about what's happening with WB and NRS? Do you think this could change MK at all? Uh, We're looking forward to bringing you the next episode of the Realmcast very soon, and it is a bit of a special one. So in the meantime, please like, follow, subscribe to stay up to date with our videos. Thank you. Thanks.